Welcome to the August 8th Sermon from Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Level Road in Amherst. Today's scripture is John chapter 15, verses 9 through 17, and the sermon is entitled, Humbled by Friendship, delivered today by Pastor Michael Fitzgerald. Welcome once again. We are glad to be together. Those streaming with us, thank you for where you are and that you're joining us. You are absolutely part of the congregation of Jesus Christ as we gather here and as you gather there you're part of us and we're thankful you've joined us today I want you to take your Bible while we are preparing turn to the gospel of John chapter 15 that's where we will be today for those of you who are just joining us we're moving ahead in a steady pace through the gospel of John we're taking our time this is sermon number 50 in sermons through the entirety of the gospel, and uh, as we are learning, I am learning. Someone asked me about how I'm learning when it comes to studying through this gospel. I have learned more in the last several months about the gospel of John than I have learned in 60 plus years. And so it has been a great study for me. I pray that is true for you. I hope you understand that we are taking our time. I'm not dragging my feet as we go through this gospel, but rather these words are so packed with truth that you can only cover so many of them within a 30-minute time span. And in fact, I don't know how you feel here in the pew or how you feel there at home, but this is the fastest 30 minutes of my life in the week uh, as I stand behind this pulpit. We are thankful to be together as we continue this study of Jesus relating to his trusted disciples in this moment. Let me back up just a bit, get us all on the same page, all in the same place in our study in chapters 13 and 14. Jesus meets with his disciples, 12 men in a private room. It is a Thursday evening. It is the day before the Friday of the cross. Only Jesus knows that the cross is coming. The disciples had no idea of what was going to be transpiring in the next very few hours. But as he meets with his disciples on that evening, that Thursday evening, he celebrates the Passover with them as the nation of Israel celebrates the Passover that evening. He pulls from that Passover meal the Lord's Supper. He also washes his disciples' feet, teaching them the ultimate of what it means to be a servant. And Jesus says, I, the very God of the universe, washing your feet, am giving you an example of how you should live now in the world. You are to go and to serve others with humility. And then also that evening on that Thursday that he meets with his disciples, he dismisses Judas Iscariot out of the group as his betrayer. Judas goes out into the night to betray Jesus in a very few moments to come. But not only did he go into the night, he also had darkness in his heart as Satan himself embodied Judas Iscariot. So that evening in the room closes. They spend time there. But now as we look at the last verse of chapter 14, Jesus closes that meeting in the room that night on Thursday and says, Arise, let us go hence. So as they leave the room, where do they go? I believe that they begin a, a walk. Jesus and 11 disciples, Judas Iscariot is no longer there, so they begin a walk with a destination to get to the Garden of Gethsemane. There is a long walk that goes between the room 
to the gate of the garden. During that walk, Jesus teaches his disciples. Jesus tells them how much he loves them. Jesus is teaching them how much he is going to use them and how he's going to pass the baton of ministry to them that they would continue on in what they don't understand at this moment in being his absence. Yet he promises them that the comforter will live in them. He will never leave them, but he will always be with them. So Jesus walks and talks and teaches as the journey onward toward the Garden of Gethsemane takes place that evening. In my mind, the very first step of the journey, I see them pass a vineyard. And as we see the opening of chapter 15, just as they leave the room, he then teaches what I see as kind of a children's sermon to his disciples, stopping in a vineyard saying, gentlemen, I want you to understand that just like that vine, I am the main trunk of the vine, and you are the branches. And branches on the vine draw life from the vine, but they have a purpose. They are to be productive. They are to bring forth fruit. One of the points that I made in the last sermon that I preached here is remember that grapevine branches do not consume their own fruit. The fruit is for someone else to make juice and wine to eat the grapes, not for the branches, but for someone else. In the same way, we are to be branches on the vine of Jesus Christ, and we too are to be productive, not for ourselves, but to draw the lost to Jesus Christ, to build up the church of the Lord, and to give the good work that He points us to as we give our talents to Him. So today, we pick up again in chapter 15, and Jesus puts into words how much He loves His disciples. How much he loves us, as he loves these disciples, as he expresses love to them. 2,000 years later, we understand that this is an expression of love to us as we are now his disciples, as we are believers carrying the baton of ministry. So hear these words, John 15, we're going to look at verses 9 through 17, words of Jesus. If you have a red letter Bible, you know that all of them are in red because Jesus speaks these words. So as they walk, Jesus says... As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If you keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. And ordained you, that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. These things I command you, that ye love one another. May God add his blessing to the reading of this portion of his words. There are not many verses in the sermon today, and yet we need to camp here. We need to take a a stop and listen to what Jesus is saying to his disciples and to us as we take in this truth of God's love. When you think about the very character of God himself, 
perhaps the greatest definitive statement of the personality of God is really encased in three words. We find them in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, that says, God is, say it louder, love. God is love. That's the definitive three-word statement of who God Almighty is. The core of God, the essence of God, the personality of God is that God is love. And when we think that God is love, then our minds usually go to the great truths that God loves the world and that God personally loves me, loves me so much that he would send his son to take my place on the cross. He loves me. He loves you. He loves the world. And those are amazing statements. But God's love doesn't begin with us. Rather, His very nature, His very core is love. Look at John 15, verse 9 again. Jesus says, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. Love is the major characteristic within Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Godhead is love. That's important for us to know. It doesn't begin with us. It begins within God himself. God is love. His very nature, his very core is love. He loves within himself, and then his love is so intense within himself that it flows to us in our creation and in our salvation and in our call to serve him as his children. Jesus is in prayer knowing that indeed he prays for God's love upon these disciples. Love is the major characteristic, and God's love comes to us. Now, we're going to look at John 17 in a few sermons down the road. I've already been working on it. But I want you to hear one verse from a future sermon, from a future text. In John 17, 24, Jesus is praying, and as he speaks to God, his Father, he says, Father, thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. Father God, you love me, the Son, before the universe was ever created. Love is your essence, and love is part of the Godhead and always has been. Everything we see and know, the entire creation that we understand comes through and from the love of God, that love within himself. God created humanity out of that love. He wanted that love to be in relationship with his creation and the, the, the culmination, the pinnacle of his creation was the creation of Adam and Eve. To have a perfect relationship with them. To have that relationship in which he would love them, but also that they would love him in return. That love would be reciprocated. That love would be given back from God's own creation. He created humanity out of love. And yet that love called him to grieve when his creation fell into sin. That love called him to bring that creation out of sin and out of guilt and out of death by sending his very own son out of love that he might go to the cross to redeem us because we fell into sin. His creation needed to come home and the only way to bring them home was through the cross of his son Jesus Christ. The love of God poured out so that we could love him again so that we would be forgiven of sin, so the barrier of sin would be broken down and we would be able to love him again as he loves us through his son, Jesus Christ. Listen, we live today because God the Father loves God the Son. That's where it all begins. Love is in the Godhead. So in John chapter 15, verse 9, we see a progression. I want you to listen carefully. God the Father loves God the Son. God the Son loves us. 
and we continue in that love. If we truly love our God, we're going to continue. If God passed his love to the Son, the Son passes his love to us, then we're to pass his love to others. That's the progression, and that's what we see in the walk through this Scripture, that we're totally supposed to pass his love to other people. So here's the truth. The love of God is not simply contained in the Godhead. The love of God is not simply contained in a sanctuary. But rather, the love of God is to continue on to be given to all people, to all in need. It's to be constantly given away, passed along, communicated, reaching people, all people who need the Savior. Not just people who are like us, not just people who live in our country, but to all people. Praise God, He has given us the ability to speak one word today for Jesus that can be heard around the world. Isn't that an amazing truth? And we need to ride that wave of truth that we can put the gospel out to the entire world that the world might hear that Jesus loves them. And we're continuing that love by passing that love that they might know it. Now, we know by experience that love in its truest form is a relationship that is reciprocal. Love is given, love is returned. You express love to someone and they close the circle by loving you back. That's a great way to love. If love is just one-sided, if love is never returned in the relationship, that relationship will eventually die. We see that in relationships of friends. One friend who wants to give all and another friend who will give nothing, that relationship will pass away. We see that happen in marriage, where one within the marriage doesn't strive to love the other, and the marriage simply fades away and dies. It's the way it happens. Love has to be reciprocated. It's still true in the level of God. The reason there's going to be a hell is because love is not reciprocated from a God who loves so much that he sent his only begotten son to die on a cross and all we need to do is say, yes, Lord, I believe that you love me so much that you died to give yourself that I might be forgiven of my sin and the guilt lifted off my shoulders and I have a home in heaven forever. I believe that. But so many multitudes of people will not express that to God and the relationship will be broken one day and never restored one day. And the place where it will never be restored is called hell. And they will reside there in broken relationship forever and ever. Love needs to be reciprocated. Do you remember Matthew chapter 10, Mark chapter 6, as Jesus sends his disciples out to preach the gospel? As he sends them out, he said, if you come to a town that will not receive you, if you come to bring in the love of God and the truth of God and and preach the Lord Jesus Christ, and that town will not receive you. If you're constantly rejected, shake the dust off your feet and move on to the next town. You don't have to return there. Leave the dust there. It doesn't have to attach to your feet anymore. The the relationship is broken. Move on to the next town. Love has to be accepted. Love has to be given and returned. That's true for us and our relationship with the Lord. If we accept the truth that God loves us, then there's going to be a deep desire in us to love Him in return. Amen? If He loves us so deeply that He would even lay down His life for us, then there is a desire in us to follow Him and to know Him and to love Him in relationship, to have a relationship of prayer and thanksgiving and praise and honor with Him. Love needs to be returned. 
So how does Jesus define the best way for us to return our love to God the Father? We'll look at John chapter 15, verse 10. If, if is an important word here. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Keep the commandments. Live this word. We are to live according to the way the Father tells us to live that will honor him, praise him, glorify him, and draw others to him. Live the word. Live the commandments. Live in obedience to the way the Lord teaches us. Living here is abiding in and honoring the love of God. Striving to live as the Lord wants us to. Living here is finding purpose and finding joy and meaning in life. There are many, millions of people who are living outside of this word. And they, thought, they think that they have found purpose and joy and meaning and all the stuff they can accumulate in life and all the money they can pack into a bank account. And it will not bring joy. Ultimately, at the end of the day and at the end of the life, they are going to be lost and hopeless and joyless because that life brought them to a complete dead end. And there is no joy in that life. Living here in the Word is what brings us joy. You know, there are lots of disgruntled and negative and critical and sour Christians out there. <laughs> Say it ain't so, but it is. And I believe it's largely because so much of the population of believers never consult this Word. Sometimes the only time this word is open is when they're sitting in a pew on Sunday morning and it's never cracked open one other time within the week. If that is describing you, please change that and read a part of the word every day of your week. It gives us joy, it gives us blessing, it gives us purpose, it gives us direction. If you want to find purpose in life, you got to know the word. That's what Jesus said. I obeyed my Father's commandment, and I'm telling you, you obey my commandment. It's here. Live this word. You know, a lot of people float along on personal feelings and opinion rather than the true word of God. We need to know the truth. It's here. Look at verse 11. Jesus says, These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Do you want joy in your faith? Do you want purpose in your living? Do you want every day to have its meaning? Do you want peace and satisfaction? Jesus says then it's imperative that you read and know the Word. You can't live it if you don't know it. You won't know it if you don't read it. So make this Word a part of your lifestyle. After a few decades of experience, here's what I found. The most critical people are the ones who know the Bible the least. The unhappiest people are the most uninformed in the Word of God. They don't know the joy of the Lord because they have not read of the joy of the Lord. So our Savior longs for us to have joy. That is part of His desire for your life. And you see it right here. He said, I want my joy to be complete in you and you and you and in me. And it comes through following the commandment of God. It, it comes through following the lifestyle that he lays before us and the footsteps that he lays before us to follow. 
And we will know them when we know his word, follow his word. You know, look at uh, verse 12, thinking about the Ten Commandments. Look at verse 12. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Now, thinking to Exodus chapter 20, verse, uh, the verses there which give us the Ten Commandments, have you ever noticed that eight of the Ten Commandments are in the negative? Eighty percent of the Ten Commandments are thou shalt nots. Thou shalt not have another false god before you. You shall not lie. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. So we see a lot of nots in the Ten Commandments. But in John chapter 15, verse 12, this is a commandment with as much authority as the first ten. This is an underlined verse. Underline John 15, verse 12. It's a commandment like the Ten Commandments. You shall love others with the same intensity that Jesus loves you. You shall love other people. This is my commandment. Love one another. I want you to think of that. It's a huge statement. This love is not a buzzword here. It's agape, self-giving, sacrificing love. Love with sacrifice. Love is not always a warm, fuzzy feeling. Sometimes it takes a lot of effort to love someone. Sometimes people are unlovable. And we need to extend love to them. Well, I know this. God has loved me in a lot of times when I've been unlovable. You didn't have to amen that. But it is absolutely true. God has loved me through many an unlovable moment. And we're to love others in the same kind of love in the way that he loves us. Even when we're unlovable, he loves us. Our salvation stands. He will never divorce us. He will never leave us. And we're to love with that same kind of self-sacrificing, giving love. It's a tall order. It's not just love with warm, fuzzy feelings. It's not just, a, not just saying, have a good day. It's loving with depth, loving with giving, loving to communicate the love of Christ. In fact, it's so important, he repeats it again at the end of these verses. In verse 17, these things I command you that ye love one another. So he repeats the commandment. It is that important. Now, I want you to look at the amazing way Jesus describes his relationship with us. Look at John 15, verses 13 through 15. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant, servant knoweth not what the Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Jesus does not love you or me as some faceless servant in his army of servants. That's not the way Jesus loves us. Your name does not have a number by it like our names do on the social security rolls. You're a person to God. You're a life to God. You're important to God. You're his individual creation. He knows you and me individually. In Jesus' day, the master commanded the servant to do this, do that, take care of this job. You don't have to understand why I'm asking you to do it. Just do it. 
because I'm the master and you're the slave. You don't need to know why you're doing this job. Just do it because I'm ordering you to do it. That was the master-slave relationship in Jesus' day. But Jesus says, I'm not the master above dictating to ignorant servants below. I love you more than that. My relationship with you is more than that. He actually says, you are friends to me. The Greek word there is phylos. We're not in a work of slavery. We're not a slave that was bought with money. You know, in Jesus' day, slaves were put up on an auction block, and masters and slave owners would gather down, and they would bid and throw up so much money so that that slave could come home with them, purchased by money, a piece of ownership, a title of ownership given to that life. Jesus said, I didn't buy you with money. I bought you with blood. I bought you with the shed blood of the old rugged cross. I purchased your life because I laid my life down for you. We are his labor of love, and we then are to reach others in that labor. We lay down our lives reaching others. You know, anytime we read that verse, and anytime I read this verse about a friend laying down his life for his friends, I think about that soldier that, lays across the grenade and saves the whole company and he takes the blast of the grenade so all the other men could be spared in that platoon. In the very same way, Jesus Christ took the death of the cross to spare us all. He took the agony of the cross to take away the sin of us all. He laid a cross so that we could have freedom. He bled there. He died there. But we need to accept him, and we need to receive him. We need to say yes to him. Yes, Lord, I believe that you gave yourself. You laid down your life to save me. And that news is so good, it's worth telling someone else that he will save you too, that he gave his life, that all of us may be pardoned. And by the way, I believe that we are to serve him on this earth. And I believe we're to give him our best in ministry. And we're to surrender our talents to him. And we're to lay our talents on the altar before him and say, Lord, however you use me, however you want me to serve you, I will do that from this day forward. I believe that we are to work in the kingdom of God. Do you believe that? We're to work in the kingdom. We're to give our life. We're to give our talent. We're to give our energy. But I want to remind you of this. It does not end the day we die. Our service to God is not limited to our earthly days. I know I've used this scripture before because I think of it so much. When we're residents in the heaven, in Revelation chapter 22, verse 3, it says, His servants shall serve Him. So we are doing holy work now that will continue on in the day that we're in heaven for eternity. Our, we are the servants and we will be serving Him. So we should be working now in preparation for our eternity serving Him then. Pew potatoes now are going to be shocked when they get to glory because we're not going to find a 10-acre field of lazy boys to sit in. And we're not going to sit on a cloud and pluck a harp. There is some holy work that we are going to be doing for our King and that work has begun right now. And we're to carry it forth in these days. Now, I want you to finally look at verse 16. John 15, 16. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you 
that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. Not one of us in this sanctuary, and not one of us watching on stream today, none of us has the right to say, Jesus ought to be proud because I chose him. Jesus ought to be glad because I said yes to him. I chose him. I'm going to heaven because I chose to go. Now, Jesus said, no, you, you didn't choose me. First and foremost, I chose you. I chose the way of the cross for you. I chose the way of death and shedding my own blood for you. That you might say yes to me, but I chose you. I chose to save you. I chose to lay down my life for you. So here's the truth. If Jesus didn't choose the cross, you and I would be hopelessly, helplessly lost for eternity with no way to come to God the Father. So when Jesus said, I chose you, that means he chose the cross that we could come to God. Praise God, Jesus chose me. And I thank him. I thank him for the Sunday school teachers and the believers and the church family who gave me the opportunity to hear the good news when I was young so I could come to Jesus as my own personal Lord and Savior so I could understand that he chose me to save that I was that important to him that he would actually bleed and die if I was the only one on on the earth and I heard a Sunday school teacher say that when I was just a youngster if you were the only one on earth Jesus would have still died for you I've never forgotten that statement he chose me. Friend, he chose you too. Individually, every one of us, he chose us. As undeserving as I am, he chose me. In your life, whatever you are, whatever you've done, he chose you. If you're not humbled to your knees by that, then one of two things are happening right now. If you're not humbled that Jesus chose you, one of two things have happened. Number one, you're not saved yet. Or number two, you're a believer and you don't know what you have yet. He chose us by way of the cross. Not one of us is going to swagger up to heaven's gate and say, let me in because I chose to come. But rather very humbly, perhaps on our knees, we will come to that gate where the banner over the gate says, enter by the blood of Jesus Christ. And according to Revelation chapter 5, verse 6, when I look up and behold the scars of the cross of the one who chose me, I'll realize how much he truly did love me and continues to love me. True for you. Here in a sanctuary, there on stream. So today, would you just come to the altar of your heart? Maybe you're moved so deeply to say, Lord, I'm coming to this physical altar of the church just to say thank you that you chose me. You chose me as really as you chose those disciples 2,000 years ago. You chose me to work in your kingdom's work just as you chose them. You hand me the, the baton of ministry now just as you handed it to them then. Help me serve you with my best because I'm chosen. Praise God. He chose us. Let's pray. Our Father, our God, thank you for choosing us. Maybe there's someone at this moment who cannot say, I have come to Jesus as my Savior, who can't say, I have a relationship with Him. 
Lord, I pray that you will use this stumbling voice to become the voice of Jesus. This is not my invitation. This is yours. And Jesus says to that one who's listening right now, I have chosen you. I went to the cross to save you. I died there because I love you and I want you as my own. I chose you. But will you choose me? I gave everything I had to forgive you and give you life and give you eternity. But you need to come and say to me, Lord Jesus, I believe what you did for me. And I want to be saved. Thank you for choosing me to be saved. I give you my heart. I give you my life. I give you my future. And I look forward to living with you for all eternity. Help me serve you now. And help me serve, serve you then when I'm living with you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for choosing me. Today, I bring my heart to you and ask you to save me. If one person today, right here in a sanctuary or who is at home by stream, if one person today will say, Lord Jesus, thank you for choosing me for salvation and life, I give my heart to you. And one day when I see you, I'll see the scars of the cross on you. The only thing that's left over from earth, I'll see the scars of the cross that was born for me because you chose me. Lord, if there are believers, brothers and sisters here who simply want to come to the altar of their heart, come to the altar of the church and say, Lord Jesus, thank you for saving me. Help me serve you well. Help me represent you well. Bless me as I love others as you have loved me. May they come. Church home, whatever they need, bless us, meet us, speak to us, lead us in these precious moments in Jesus' name. Clifford Baptist Church invites you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For more information about our church, please call our church office at 434-946-0555.